unknown whistleblower told the RAF's top brass about my father's double life, and within hours he was on a plane to Tripoli. But the luck of the grades held. At a military airport he bumped into George Formby, doing his bit to keep up the morale of the troops. In no time they'd struck up a deal, and Formby used his influence to get Dad a job organising shows. Meanwhile, Lou had quarrelled with Joe Collins and joined my father to form Lou and Leslie Grade Limited Variety Agents. In time, the firm grew into a huge business, handling many big names, including Paul Schofield, Roger Moore, Vanessa Redgrave, Cliff Richard, Arthur Askey, and on and on. After the start of commercial television, Leslie also began to represent film directors and writers. By then, the firm was known as the Grade Organisation. My father, although the youngest of the brothers, had been the first to marry, in 1940, to my mother, Winifred Smith. My grandmother would have been horrified on two counts had she known. The bride was pregnant and she wasn't Jewish. I'm not sure which she would have seen as the greater calamity. Luckily, Olga had been evacuated from London, so my father was able to live a double life, oscillating between a flat in Hackney with his wife and baby daughter Linda and visits to my grandmother where he behaved as if he were still single. There was hell to pay when he eventually had to confess all, but Olga couldn't resist the joy of being a grandmother, although she never accepted Winifred as a member of the family. I came along in 1943, but the odds had been stacked against the marriage from the start. When Leslie was away in the RAF, Winifred entered the strange, close-knit world of a Jewish household, dominated by Olga, who had strong views about the catastrophe of her son introducing a shiksa into the family. When my mother fell in love with a Canadian airman called Kenneth Walton Beckett, she was faced with an impossible choice. She could stay in a family where she knew she would never be welcome, or she could leave her children and share the life of the man she loved. She decided to go. I was only a year and three months old, so I remember none of this. Curiously, Winifred's second husband, by then known as Kent Walton, ended up working for me at London Weekend Television as a wrestling commentator. I always knew vaguely what my mother looked like because my sister Linda and I had a photograph of her which we kept carefully hidden. Many years later, I think I spotted her at a football match in Leicester. Before she'd married my father... She sustained leg injuries in a car accident, and I saw a lady in the crowd with Kent Walton. When they walked away, I noticed she had a slight limp. I have never made any attempt to get in touch with my mother, and I feel neither guilt nor regret about this. I didn't know her, so I didn't miss her. My mother might have gone, but thanks to my grandmother, I never felt deprived of maternal love, and I simply adored my father, I was a very biddable child, anxious to please and always eager to avoid confrontation. It took a long time and a number of failed relationships for me to learn that I needed to act and behave in tune with my deepest feelings instead of trying always to do what was expected of me. My father was the kindest, most generous and self-effacing man I have ever known, but much of my childhood was spent away from him. He worked all hours battling to establish his business. However, I was never conscious of being deprived of his love. We grew much closer as I moved through childhood into adolescence, because I was then old enough to appreciate his sterling qualities.
He was in the cutthroat business and had many fierce competitors, but he never turned any into enemies. He was universally popular, even loved. My earliest memories are of his fine blonde hair, his vivid blue eyes and long slender fingers, always in movement. He was as eloquent in gesture as he was tongue-tied in speech, except when he was talking business on the telephone. Every artist has his chosen instrument. Menuhin his violin, Rubenstein his piano. My father was a veritable virtuoso on the telephone. He was also driven by a sense of time. He kept his watch ten minutes fast so he'd never be late for an appointment. I'd meet him for lunch and pitch up on the dot to find him already ten minutes into his first course. You're almost late, was his invariable comment. He got so taken up in the careers of his clients, agonising over their setbacks...